Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm back with UC. What's up? Hey Tobias, peaceful week here, uh, mostly because there's a daycare strike again this week, so our private daycare is closed for a couple of days. Also, public transit strikes this week, and we got about 30 centimeters of snow. So I figured, let me stay at home with the six-year-old, putting the fire in the fireplace, drink some coffee, watch the iPad with the kid, watch some movies, and not really do anything besides a little bit of work, a lot of coffee, a little bit of patience with the six-year-old when he wants to show me the 15th new iPad game. He would really, really like me to me to buy for him. But beyond that, business as usual. How about for you? All right, that sounds good. I'm going to ask Sweden to do a daycare strike as well, so we can stay at home and, and play with the iPad. Uh, so for me, I played with something else, and that was an escape room in Malmo. That was great, but perhaps not as great as the previous one I did. Um, and the reason for that, and, and that's where it ties kind of into technology, was about five years ago. That was a custom-built ground-up by an engineer that did Raspberry Pis and Arduinos and had a load of mechanics connected to that, latches, hidden doors, entire new hallways and rooms being unveiled if you figured a puzzle out. That was a really high-end experience, really, really mind-blowing. Um, the one we did just now over the weekend was less high-tech, but still a lot of puzzle and and you know think tanking that had to go into that. So what I want to do is I want to call out to our listeners and say, I'm looking for escape room experiences in Scandinavia. If you know any really good, really, really good escape rooms, let me know. Do reach out. When when you were describing the first one you went to five years ago, that sounded like like one of these experiences where, where you pay to get in, then you need to pay more to get out as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah. happy happy to see that that you made it out safely. Uh, so today's episode is an interesting topic, and we will be talking about Azure verified modules with Jack Tracy from Microsoft. Uh, Great to have you back, Jack, again. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, no, thanks for having me back, guys. And uh, it's always a pleasure to to hear myself on the podcast and uh, talk about some cool things that we've been working on. So, yeah, I I'm a senior cloud solution architect at Microsoft. I work in our global customer success team, um, and I interact with uh, Tobias quite a lot in my, in my day job in terms of what we get up to writing documentation. Um, but I am the Azure Landing Zones technical lead. Um, so I have a lot of involvement there. I'm also a subscription vending lead and now the Azure Verified Modules lead. So uh, busy is what uh, I am, um, but all really exciting stuff and all in a similar space of helping customers adopt Azure. Good stuff. Um, I've noticed on the news, the AVM, the Azure Verified Modules. I think a colleague of mine pointed to me that, hey, you see, have a look at this. And, and what happened is that I opened the tab, there's a lot of stuff in there, and I figured, let me get back to this real soon now, and it's been four weeks, and I never really got back to that one. So, so in case somebody in the audience knows even less about AVM than I do, how would you describe what is AVM, what is Azure Verified Modules, and, and why should people care about it? No, great question. And uh, you're right, it sort of slowly worked its way out into the social channels and like started to be present. Um, we haven't done a big sort of, here's this new thing and shouting about it from the hilltops, but we will, uh, and that's coming. Um, but we're, we're sort of slowly leaking it out and seeing uh, how people find it and what their initial feedback is. 
So Azure Verified Modules at its heart is really uh, a Microsoft initiative uh, that is trying to and has accomplished internally the centralization of infrastructure as code modules. Now, what does that really mean? As you may or may not know, Microsoft, if you go on the, the Microsoft GitHub organization or the Azure GitHub organization, you'll find thousands of repos. Many of them contain infrastructure as code. And quite a few of them are libraries of infrastructure as code modules, right? Whether that's for Terraform, whether that's for Bicep, whether that's for ARM templates. And there's no real standardization between them, right? It's not like they all follow the same naming patterns. They all follow the same testing frameworks. They all follow the same quality bars. And that's a problem for our customers because they may perceive uh, that, hey, it's got a Microsoft or an Azure uh, GitHub org. This is supported by Microsoft. This is a Microsoft thing. I can go use this and happy days. Well, unfortunately, you know, anybody inside of Microsoft can create a Azure uh, GitHub or GitHub repo or a Microsoft GitHub repo. And I love that about Microsoft, right? Because it's all about like innovation. Don't stop anybody like go and create good things and share with customers. But it also has the caveat of you really need to understand what the, the support agreement is and the license statement is of all of these different projects when you're consuming these open source things, which I don't think is something that every every person will do and review. So that top tip number one, make sure you review the licenses and support statements of all these projects. Um, what you'll find is in the infrastructure as code space, a lot of these projects are science projects or things that have been started by teams who have now moved on or changed roles or changed what they're doing. And these things aren't getting updated, maintained, supported. Um, and that unfortunately leaves customers in a bit of a, a pickle, right? Uh, to use a British phrase, like they don't, aren't getting the support they initially were when they signed up for this. They're sort of stuck. They're not getting new features. They're not getting issues responded to. And they're now like, well, hey, we, we put all our eggs in this basket to use this project, but now it's not going anywhere. So that was the problem that was given to us uh, this year, uh, myself and, and Matt and, and the rest of the AVM core team. And we have built Azure Verified Modules off the back of this, which has brought together all of those projects that exist out there in the wild across Microsoft and said, look, this is the one standard that we are going to support and get behind internally now going forward. And both the BICEP and the form product groups are also supportive and aligned to this as well. All right, I, I like this. And I took a look at this as well. And there's like the standardization and, and formalizing how things are done uh, you know, across the board is something that I, I really enjoy seeing because it's similar to your experience. That's my experience in the past as well. You've got a bunch of different projects. Some of them are orphaned, some are not. You have customers reaching out saying, hey, we started investing a lot of resources and time into this but that no longer exists or it's been outdated or you can't even deploy it anymore because Azure changed on the back end, right? And that keeps happening all the time. Um, so looking into like the different types of modules that exist, so now understanding we have these verified modules, they're gonna help you kind of streamline and, and make a, a kind of a, have a formalized way of deploying things, if you will, and, and standardized way. But what exists in the in the basket today? What What is the, like playing field here is is this something where you go and you design your own stuff or is it more hey there's actually a gallery or there's there's an area where you can go and pick and choose this is what i need to deploy this is what i need to do with my project and then you have a starting point going from there so if that's the case what what exists in the gallery or in the basket today yeah, so you, it's a good question, and and the latter is correct, right? It is a gallery or a, a registry, if we want to use the, the the terminology here in infrastructure as code world, of pre-built 
modules from Microsoft employees that align to the specification that AVM outlines. Um, that's all available on the public website, by the way. So uh, aka.ms slash AVM, you'll find the website. All of the information and standards and specs are, are there. You can read and review and give us your feedback if you find anything. Um, but we have a library of modules in both Bicep and Terraform. Now, when we say a library of modules, what type of modules do we have or what classifications, is, as we call it? We have two classifications of modules inside of AVM across the both languages. We have resource modules, which you can think as Lego blocks, right? Individual Lego blocks. They deploy a single resource, so a storage account, a virtual network, a virtual machine, one instance of that thing with its tightly coupled resources, right? So obviously a virtual machine is pretty useless on its own from an API perspective without a disk, without a NIC, without those sort of uh, resources attached to it. So they're, they're baked into that resource to make it a successful VM deployment. Um, Everything is parameterized. And then what we do in the resource modules is provide like a shim or a consistent way to deploy um, common other resources. So if you think about diagnostic settings, role assignments, locks, tags, customer managed keys, private endpoints, all of these things most resources support, right? Like you can turn them on or off and whether you want them. But if any of you have spent any time with infrastructure as code, in Azure, you'll find that the underlying APIs from our resource providers are slightly different between like one might be lock, one might be locks. Customer managed keys might expect an object ID and some might expect a full resource ID of a managed identity, right? And it's it's annoying when you're developing, right? Because you're like, oh, I know how this works now. And then you go to another resource and you're like, oh, it's different. And now I've got to work that out. So what we've done in AVM is provided a standard common interface for all of those extension resources so that if you learn how to implement it in AVM, you've learned it once and it will work across any resource module that you use. So now you can go really fast because you haven't got to worry about the differences between our APIs on the back end. That's that's a problem that the module owners take care of um, aligning to our common interface. So now, great, we've got all these individual Lego blocks. They're, they're cool. Like most teams and uh, advanced infrastructure as code users will get benefit from them and, and take them forward. Um, but Actually, a lot of our customers want full patterns, right, or architectures or parts of architectures to go even faster, right? I want uh, a three-tier web app as a module. So we've got then the classification of pattern modules, um, which is like today. We don't have a lot of them, but there are starting more and more starting to get built. But they're built upon the resource module. So you get all the quality of the resource module brought through into your pattern module. Um, and they help you deploy one or more resources or a common architecture that might be in the architecture center, might be in the cloud adoption framework, might be in the well architecture framework. Like it has to be from an official Microsoft source so that we haven't got 15 copies of a three tier web app. But, you know, like we're trying to align on, on well-known patterns so that our customers can get going. They see a nice diagram they like, they like the architecture. Boom, here's an AVM module to get going with it as well. Um, the other benefit that I think is important to call out uh, two two things. These are all available in the public registries. So they're all published to the Terraform registry or to the Bicep public registry uh, for whatever language they're for. And they're aligned to the well-architected framework. So of the five pillars of WAF, if you take out cost, because we don't want to limit people on making a poor architecture decision based on cost, you can obviously tweak these things down if you don't want the, you know, the fully highly resilient, highly available version. But out of the box, we will make things zone redundant by default. We'll make them deny public block, public access by default. We'll do those common simple things in WAF to help you be more resilient and more secure out of the box. 
you can obviously tweak any of these via the input parameters, but by default, you'll get a really highly secure, highly resilient module. Okay, so th this has a lot of moving and super interesting parts. So I'm I'm thinking perhaps I'm an architect in in an upcoming large Azure deployment project, and and perhaps a company decided that yeah we we want to go with Azure landing zones, we want this and that. They've opted for Bicep. So would this align with well architected framework in the sense that for somebody who has read and sort of tried to internalize the the bits and pieces in WAF, that they could now more fluidly pick up AVM, the verified modules, start with the resource modules, see what they have in the patterns and say, well, actually, when we go with landing zones, we would need a VM here, we would need Azure Firewall for the hub, we would need the VNets like this. And as you said, am I understanding this correctly, that I could sort of build, build out the whole architecture and pick and choose like Lego blocks, what's available from the verified modules, tweak them as I like, and if something is missing or I'm not happy with something, I'll just roll my own for that particular piece. Yeah, I think you've, you've nailed it there, you see, like, you know, they are all highly flexible. So our goal is that you shouldn't have to clone and customize a module. You should only customize it via the input parameters so that you haven't got to maintain any code yourself. You're just changing the way the, the module handles the data and what it spits out at the other end. Um, obviously, if you do find anything that's like not quite to your requirements, you could clone it and absolutely all the code's open source. You could roll your own, no problems. Um, but we would invite you to raise an issue at that stage on the relevant repo and, and tell us what, what you're, what's missing or what's needed. And we'll absolutely get onto that with the module owners uh, to get that resolved. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You can take all these different pieces off the shelf, help you get going faster so that we see a lot of big customers and a lot of uh, customers who are you know more cloud native start to roll something called inner sourcing, right? They want to build their own libraries of modules internally. And what happens there is it's really hard to maintain. It's really hard to support and it's really hard to build a community internally to get everybody across an organization that generally has a quite a complex hierarchy contributing back to a central initiative because you'll get infighting and you'll get politics like, hey, I don't like the way that that team codes, but I like the way we code. Whereas now we as Microsoft have gone, this is the way that modules should look. Everybody can sort of outsource that effort and go, we're just going to use what Microsoft have defined as a good practice for library and, and module, uh, a library of modules. And we can take that and we can follow the same st standards and specifications to build our own modules if we can't get one from AVM. You know, the goal is there'll be a module for everything you need and every resource you need over time. And we're, that's growing every week um, in numbers, right? I think we have something like 70 to 80 resource modules available in Bicep, about 30 in Terraform, and it's growing on a weekly basis. So there should be, at some point in the very near future, pretty much every resource you're, you're going to need. There'll be some odd ones that don't exist, but we'll, we'll be plugging the gaps and let us know if they are missing. Um, but you, you won't then need to waste time internally building resource modules or pattern modules. What you can focus on is building pattern modules that are applicable to your business and aligned to your standards inside your business and your architecture very fast, built on a very solid foundation from our resource modules. So you haven't got to maintain that level. You can just build the pattern module level and off you go and you know add value to your business quickly effectively i i love this and the first thing that comes to mind is you know in my experience when i built our SaaS companies and all the things in the past we we 
did a lot of things ourselves. And IAC wasn't a thing at the time. We had to do a lot of things on our own. And Bicep just kind of rolled out when I left that world. Uh, and we had a lot of configuration drift, like a lot. So we, we started with something open source, and then we adopted that, kind of what you mentioned with inner sourcing. We wanted to do something ourselves and customize it. But then we deviated from like the original and we were then disconnected from any updates and we had to maintain and do updates ourselves and then realize, well, now we have 60 or 70 deployed resources, all with different API versions and all, you know, being updated. And, and that was impossible to maintain in a good way. So I really like this, like avoiding configuration drift is something you can definitely achieve with this as long as you kind of tap into what exists in those registries. And like you mentioned as well, raise an issue saying, hey, here's a gap that we would need in our organization, file a request and say, if you get that, we're going to use this because then we don't have to kind of disconnect from the um, from the original. So I, I really like that. Um, I took a look now at, at some of the patterns as well. And I, I really like this. Like if you deploy the Terraform verified module for Azure Virtual WAN hub networking, you get uh, you know a virtual WAN hub. Uh, secured virtual hub, routing intent, Azure firewall, you get site-to-site -site virtual network gateway, you get point-to-site virtual network gateways and express route gateways, like all these different different things you can set up and, and do. You get them, as I understand it now, then configured in the right way. You'll get a couple of options when you deploy it. It's going to say, hey, what are the input variables or parameters you want to pass in for this specific configuration thing? Everything else is abstracted away. So instead of figuring out everything ground up, like you mentioned as well, you don't need to understand the underlying infra as code, if you will, in Bicep or Terraform specifically for all the resources. If you use a pattern like that, you can just say, these are the things I need and here's kind of the variables I want to pass in and then off you go. Yeah, absolutely um, right. And that's that's the goal of the pattern modules is really to be help you go as fast as possible without having to understand the resource at the you know API level. If you look at virtual WAN, a virtual WAN from a resource module perspective actually is a very basic resource, right? It's just the overlaying wrapper of virtual WAN. That doesn't include any hubs. That doesn't include any firewalls, gateways, anything like that. So somebody may go, oh, that's great. I'll use a resource module for virtual WAN. But actually, you're going to get something very basic. It's almost like a resource group, right? It's a good way of thinking about it. Um, it doesn't give you a lot. But actually, the pattern module for virtual WAN You've got all of this wealth of uh, knowledge that we've tied together, all these different dependencies, the sequencing and all of that stuff all gets handled for you. You just pass in those input parameters and variables, as you say. Um, and I think back to your previous point, Tobias, like be good open source citizens, right? If you see a gap, if you see an issue, raise it back to the to the repo. We have SLAs that within three business days, somebody should give you a reasonable response that saying, that's a great suggestion or, hey, this is the fix or we're working on it. So this is the difference with AVM, right? It's not just another infrastructure as code project from Microsoft that is a science project. This is supported by customer support. So you could call, you could log a ticket with Azure support and they will triage it and make sure it's not a platform issue. And if it isn't and it is a problem with the module, they'll come to us and help us work with, with you to get it fixed. So that we've really thought about all of this. This is a long-term investment. This is like one and done now. Like we're not doing another one of these. Um, <laughs> so this is it's here for the long time. And also anybody can contribute, right? Like, so the owner has to be a Microsoft FTE because that means we can chase them and if they're not responding to issues or we need to take ownership of the module because they've disappeared, we can do that. But anybody externally, and we're already seeing this from a lot of partners who have done a lot of this work themselves, they're going, this is a great initiative, scales way, way better than ours. 
I'll contribute back into the module for virtual WAN, for a NAT gateway, for anything else. And they're putting PRs in, right? So then our, our module owners are going, yep, that's a great feature. Love it. Add, boom, release a new version. It's available, right? So we can't have module owners uh, that are truly external today. That is something we are working on. We really want to try and get to that as a goal. But anybody from Microsoft can be a module owner. Uh, and then anybody can contribute it, contribute to that module from external, from wherever. So like it is truly open source. I, I really like the commitment here from Microsoft for sure. Uh, Toby always dislikes when I'm spilling out the secrets of the true experts, like when you open Visual Studio and you need to publish something, you just right click publish and, and, and you deploy to production <laughs> directly. It's so fast. So if somebody wants to use these modules, What's what sort of the preferred approach? Because what I'm thinking is that if I go to GitHub, I do search for AVM, maybe I'll find the repo, I'll find maybe a bicep module. Do I then just download as a zip file and copy them to local directory and try to use them from there? Or is there something more advanced or more preferred for somebody to actually start using the AVM stuff in their own deployments? No. Awesome question. Uh, so I think it depends on the language that you're going to approach it. So let's let's tackle each one individually. So for Bicep, you can use uh, go to the Bicep Registry Modules repo because they're all in a single repo. So uh, aka.ms forward slash brm um, for short. Um, you can find them all the modules there inside the AVM folder. Um, but actually, a nicer way of finding them and browsing them is if you go to the AVM website that we shared earlier, um, you'll find on the left-hand side in the table of contents a module index. And there is a module index there for both Bicep and Terraform and split further into resource modules and pattern modules that you can search. And there's also a CSV of these things, right? So if you want to pull it in and automate some things and publish your, like, keep track of your own world, you can. Um, but you, everything's available there and in a nice table and visible to search and, and all of that good stuff. They are all available in the Bicep public registry, which means if you open up VS Code and you've got Bicep installed, you could type module, give it a symbolic name, and then the next part in the in the speech marks where you type br colon public to access the public registry, you'll then get IntelliSense for all of these modules appear. So if you type AVM, you'll see an absolute massive list of all of these different modules that you can use, and you can just get IntelliSense support all the way through to find the module you need you know, hit equals, open the brackets, do require properties, and boom, it will spit out what you need to put in very quickly. And you'll get all of the IntelliSense throughout all of the parameters and input options that you need to provide on what needs to be provided there. So really nicely integrated via the public registry. So we would say don't clone them, don't clone the repository, and don't download a zip file. Consume them directly from the public registry if you can. If you need to internalize them, think about creating a fork of the BRM repo, so you've got an easy way of staying up to date and pulling the latest changes in. But we would advise you to consume them from the public uh, interface for now. We are working on a, an inner sourcing method for Bicep, like how could you inner source these modules yourself, but keep the connection to us upstream in BRM, um, in the Bicep registry modules. That's something that will come from the Carmel framework, um, but you know that's future, like not, not right now. We're, we're focused on getting a lot of the modules out of the door before we then look at the inner sourcing journey for, for Bicep. For Terraform, it's very much the same. They're published all to uh, the HashiCorp Terraform registry. They all do live in separate repos though. So there's no one repo that hosts all of the modules. They're all in individual repos because that's the way Terraform works. Um, so if you looked for 
uh, Terraform hyphen Azure RM hyphen AVM in GitHub, you'd probably find them all. But just use the HashiCorp registry, right? So if you go to the HashiCorp registry in Google, uh, do a search for that, open it up, you'll be able to search at the top. And if you type AVM, you'll find all of the AVM modules. And again, consume them from the public registry. They all have examples on how to consume them in each of them. The same for Bicep, there's working examples for each module. So it's not just here's a module, do what you like with it. It's here's a module and here's some common ways that you'd probably want to use this uh, with dependent resources and stuff like that. Um, and you can get going from there. Obviously, if you're a Terraform Cloud customer or Terraform Enterprise, you can then look to bring these into your own internal private registry if you've got one. Um, but that's a very easy process from HashiCorp. You know, you literally select the modules and it will clone them and handle all of that for you. Um, but yeah, effectively, the messages consume them all from the public registries for today. Yeah, I, I really like this. So I, I'm looking at it now and I'm going, all right, the next couple of deployments I'm going to do, I'm going to see if I can find the resources in AVM and try it that way because it, it sounds like that's how I'm going to live the dream of avoiding kind of configuration drift and, and these kind of things and just simplify life a little bit. So I'm, I'm going to try that out. Um, I think from my end, I've kind of exhausted the questions I've I've had here. I want to surface what this is. And, and Jack, you did that really well. I have a better understanding of what AVM is and you know where where I can find that and fit that into my organization and and when we deploy things. Um, so from that perspective, I'm I'm happy. You see, are there any outlying questions that you'd like to to ask Jack on AVM? Um, yeah, one one additional one. So you mentioned that Microsoft FTEs would be the owners, which makes perfect sense for the individual modules. So. So what's the best way for somebody who's utilizing this, perhaps hitting a problem, maybe there's a typo or maybe module is not working as expected or simply it doesn't work even if it should. Is it is it the issues in that that uh, uh, individual repo that you mentioned, for example, for Bicep, or is there something more formalized in the sense? Because I think the fear people often have is that you have a great repo, great stuff in there, then you hit the brick wall, you put an issue, nothing happens for two years, and you're like, well, well, what do I do next? <laughs> then you go on X or LinkedIn or Facebook to ask somebody <laughs> else. Or you do what I used to do, you find somebody's alias at Microsoft and ping them directly on Teams and ask for, the, for their help, and they might help you or they will block you. It depends a bit on the person who you <laughs> try to reach out to. So yeah, so uh, good, 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 good ask. So absolutely, I think you nailed it on the head. Like everybody should use the uh, GitHub repo where the module is module lives uh, to raise an issue against. If you can't find or you you just like I, I don't know where this should go, raise it on that AVM repo, um, and we will redirect it to the right place. Like that's fine. We look at them all the time. Um, but raise it directly in the repo where the module lives is the best best advice I've got for you. In terms of addressing your fear point there, you see, I think it's a valid one, right? And it's the whole reason we've created AVM is to not get into that scenario. Um, there's automation running on every repository so that if somebody doesn't respond to an issue within the defined SLAs that we publish on that AVM website, it'll automatically ping the core team, which I'm part of, and there's an, about 10 of us that are part of the core team. And we then invoke our process to go, right, are you going to look after this? Are you going to sort out this issue? And we'll go and chase the FTE for you. If there's then no response and it's, say, a security issue or a bug, something's not working, the AVM core team will step in and resolve the issue um, for, that, for that point in time. If it's not and it's a feature request, 
we'll keep working with the the module owner to see if they a want to carry on owning the module and develop the feature if the the module owner's gone AWOL and has gone missing um we will then orphan the module right and what we mean by that is it's not okay it's it's not like you can't use it anymore you can absolutely use it but we're only going to maintain it from a security and bug perspective until we find a new module owner because back to our earlier point building this initiative and doing it internally is really hard if you don't have scale out you can't just keep adding more people into a core team to maintain all these modules right you need lots of people and a community around it to really maintain this and, and grow it so we'll then go out and try and find a new module owner for this within microsoft which we we find generally pretty quickly within a week um and then somebody else will go out and pick up and take on the, the new feature requests and, and take it forward from there so yeah also in the module index you'll find the alias or the github username for all of the module owners so if you do want to use your tactic of approaching them on social media go for it because they're all they're all really friendly people so they'll definitely reply to you awesome this this really sounds like you thought this out through and sometimes you see repos with super interesting stuff but they're sort of not abandoned but but you see there's no life left in there and I love it that you have this sort of soft escalation approach to stuff that might pop up later. I, I for sure will will definitely try this out in the next project to see how how easy it is for me in, in, in my ripe age to actually learn something new. So I want to try this out for sure and also to experience how it works, especially from VS Code. Uh, I'm super happy with this. Make sure to have a look at the show notes. There's the links to everything we discussed. Uh, Toby, the only thing we have left is the unexpected question. Do you have one lined up for us? I do have a question, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot in my life lately. And uh, there's one thing I haven't been able to figure out a good answer to. So I'm going to shoot this over to you, Jack, and see if we can get some clarity on this. If Azure had to participate in a talent show, what would be its act? I, I really need to know where you get access to these questions because they, they are incredible. Um, if it's available as an open AI model or uh, something like that, let us know. Like Tobias GPT, I think we were chatting about, like, let's definitely get access to it. Um, but it's a really good question. I think Azure would be a magician of sorts, right? Because if you think about the plethora of services and how they all integrate and stitch together, like... No, nobody else can do all those things like it's like the rabbit out of the hat right like and then like a handkerchief comes out of a pocket and it keeps coming right all of these different things exist in azure and you can bundle all of these things together with logic apps and functions and the various sdks that exist right there's so many things you could do with azure so it's really an magician right the your imagination is your limit so that's that would be my answer to your question i think that's a that's a really good really good answer like abracadabra you have another node in your scale set yeah, I, I see that. I, I really like this. Thank you, Jack, for taking the time to join us. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. See you next week. All right, see you then.